the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. We've been talking for a long time that you have to see the Israel-Gaza conflict for more than just a battle between the Palestinians and Israel. It is a proxy battle with Iran. And our next guest has been warning of that proxy battle and in his time in power took enormous steps to try to push back against Iran, which has destabilized the whole Middle East once again. Joining us right now, the former United Nations ambassador and former national security advisor, Ambassador John Bolton. Mr. Ambassador, great to have you back on the show. Glad to be with you. So I want to start with something that tickled my ear or maybe shocked me is the right word uh, over the weekend. Barack Obama basically saying uh, the blame really is on all of us for the Palestinians suffering. It seems to me he might miss the big part of the narrative, like maybe Hamas is responsible. What were your takeaways from the former president's comments this weekend? Well, you know, I, I often think I can't be shocked, but when I heard uh, Barack Obama and actually watched him say those things that none of us have clean hands, we're all complicit uh, I really, uh, it, it tells you what informed his decision making for eight years as president. And, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't bother to tell the rest of the country what he thought during those eight years, although a lot of people suspected it. Now now we know for sure. Uh, and it just is the blindness of moral equivalence uh, and uh, equating Israel and Hamas that uh, a, a country that's been brutalized now engages in it's legitimate exercise of self-defense, and but but we're all to blame, and and uh, you know plenty of guilt to go around, uh, and that would be bad enough. Except then then we've seen members of the as they like to call themselves the progressive wing of the Democratic Party uh, really attacking uh, their own president, uh, Congresswoman Talab, uh, essentially accused Biden of being uh, of aiding a genocide uh, in Gaza. Uh, and it's not only in the United States. I think we're seeing left wing, uh, left of center parties really coming to a breaking point, uh, certainly in the United Kingdom. The Labor Party is split wide open by this. And in a number of other European countries, we're really seeing the, the true face of, uh, of what of what the leftists actually believe. And, and Obama just said the quiet part out loud. That he did. And I think to the perhaps the future detriment of his party, I think people are starting to absorb this propaganda that is spewing from real, you know, uh, high elected officials that we have in the country. I want to turn to a second for the United Nations. Obviously, you serve there very ably. And we look at it today and it couldn't even repudiate the Hamas attacks because of the control that the left has on so many of the countries that are part of the United Nations. It meanwhile coddles people who have uh, countries that have enormous human rights abuses, the Chinas and the others in the world. Has it run its course? Is it an organization now that while originally created to fight for peace, seems to have fight for insanity instead? Well, I think uh, there's absolutely no doubt the political branches of the United Nations are broken and perhaps broken beyond repair. The General Assembly, the Security Council, the Human Rights Council, 
just produce uh, essentially nothing that's that's really of utility uh, internationally. Some of the specialized and technical agencies of the UN, I think, still do good work. Part of the UN's problem is it's a huge, sprawling organization that that tries to do too much, and and. Uh, so you could imagine cutting back in some areas. I, I've had a proposal for UN reform for uh, quite some time now based on my extensive experience with it. And this is what I would say. We don't need to withdraw actually from any place, but we will not follow the system of what are called assessed contributions, where we're told every year what our contribution is. Instead, we should make all of our contributions voluntary. The U.S. decides how much it's going to give. Some of the best-run agencies in the U.N., the World Food Program, UNICEF, are funded only by voluntary contributions. I think the ones that are the worst performers are the ones that are financed under this system of assessed contributions, where the U.S. pays between typically 20 and 25 percent of the budget of the, of the big U.N. organization itself. This is a form of international taxation. The other members vote what our share is, and then we have to pay it. I think we should just reject that out of hand. We should fund what we want. We should insist that we get value for our money, and if we don't, we should stop funding. That would be the biggest uh, tsunami to run through the halls of the U.N. since 1945. Yeah, it could potentially prompt the sort of change that I think a lot of conservatives, quite frankly, common sense Americans have wanted for a long time. Why is so much of the political arms of the U.N. so anti-Israel? I mean, it really is remarkable when you go in and you look at the language of those serving in the United Nations. Their language is, you know, something that I think the Anti-Defamation League would immediately describe as anti-Semitic, anti-Israel. How did it become such an anti-Israel organization? Well, I think this is a key point. You know, I spent a lot of my time in different jobs in the U.S. government uh, trying trying to fight this problem in the U.N. system. And back in the George H.W. Bush administration in 1991, we got the General Assembly to repeal a really hated resolution they had passed in 1975 that we call for shorthand the Zionism is Racism resolution. In 1975, this was a communist effort with the third world to delegitimize Israel. Obviously, if it's a racist nation, it uh, like South Africa under apartheid, it shouldn't have been a UN member. And it was a stain on the UN when they did it in 1975. Daniel Patrick Moynihan was the ambassador then. He went to the podium and ripped the resolution up and said the United States will never abide by this resolution. So anyway, in 1991, we repealed it. And people said, see, this shows the UN is off to a new start. We're eliminating anti-Semitism. You know, we patted ourselves on the back too quickly. The anti-Semitism has not been eliminated. If anything, in many respects, it's worse now than it was back in 1991. The Secretary General himself, uh, really, he, he came a few days before Barack Obama, but they said essentially the same thing. Uh, and it's the kind of moral equivalence that robs the UN itself of any legitimacy. And it's a, it's a reason why I think Americans uh, with a clean conscience can say, we tried in the United Nations system uh, to avoid this, uh, this insistence of, of, uh, of trying to stigmatize Israel. Uh, and it just shows the fundamental uh, moral failure of the organization itself. Yeah, such a great point. And the, the, also the silliness of some of the moral equivalencies that the UN has tried to make over the years. It just scratches your head from an intellectual perspective. So I want to talk a little bit about 
the ceasefire calls and is what Israel should do. Obviously, Israel is going to make its own determination. It doesn't matter how much Tony Blinken calls for a ceasefire, I don't think. What is the current state of play and how disruptive is the U.S. language to Israel trying to finish the mission it set out to do, which is to eradicate Hamas from Gaza? Well, I think there's no uh, practical decision between a ceasefire and a humanitarian pause. In fact, I think the name of the game is try and get Israel to agree to a humanitarian pause and then extend it forever. Uh, And I think Israel understands that uh, they are engaged right now in the perfectly legitimate exercise of their inherent right of self-defense. They they are entitled to go after military targets. they are required by the rule of uh, the law of warfare to uh, take into account if there could be collateral uh, civilian casualties. They're required to try and minimize that uh, and to make a judgment. If if they think the military target is valuable enough and the civilian casualties, uh, tragic as they may be, are, are, are proportionately quite small, uh, they're entitled to go after legitimate military targets. There's no terrorist veto here. And in fact, it just shows the barbarity of Hamas, starting with their attack on, on Israel in on October the 7th, and continued by their barbarism toward their own people by making them human shields. There cannot be a terrorist veto here on Israel's right of self-defense. And it's a terrible thing that Hamas is doing. What it should cause the people of Gaza to do Uh, And I think many of them don't support Hamas to get up, stand up and say so and say we will not tolerate being ruled by Hamas any longer. Uh, And and if anything, help the Israelis, tell tell them where the tunnels are, uh, help facilitate their work. Let's let Israel get this done uh, if it's going to be allowed to happen. And this is where the bigger picture that you mentioned at the beginning is important. I think the shots are being called here by the mullahs in Tehran. And whether they decide they're going to unleash Hezbollah, they've already had the Houthi rebels in Yemen firing at targets in Israel. uh, And the Houthis wouldn't have uh, two rocks to rub together against Israel if the Iranians didn't arm them. So there's a bigger strategic picture at work here. And that's all the more reason for Israel not to stop before the job is done. Yeah. You wrote a brilliant op-ed. I've had so many people share it with me over the last few days in the New York Post. Biden risks American lives by refusing to hold Iran to account. Such a very important thing because it really shows how U.S. policy has been the enabler of a more violent and more aggressive Iran. Explain a little bit what the motivation for this was and how dangerous it is for the United States to continue to coddle Iran. Well, look, Iran has enormous ambitions in the region. They want they want to dominate geographically, politically, religiously in the Middle East. They want to they want to uh, eliminate the little Satan Israel. They want to dominate the great. Uh, they want to harm the the great Satan, the United States, uh, and their proxies, uh, the the Shia militia in. Uh, uh, Iraq, uh, uh, Hezbollah in Syria against American positions there, uh, and and terrorist acts all over the region. These are all directed by Iran, and Biden has said he's not going to tolerate attacks on Americans, but we are tolerating them. Uh, fortunately, to date, there hasn't been a, a real serious mass casualty event, but it could happen at any point. And the fact is, Iran is not deterred by Joe Biden. He can bring two carrier battle groups. He can bring a 
a, a ballistic nuclear submarine into the eastern Mediterranean. The Iranians don't think he's going to do anything. So Americans, not just our military, but our civilian personnel, private citizens, missionaries, are, are all at risk all around the region because uh, because the Iranian leadership doesn't fear Biden. And, and that's that's part of what the bigger strategic picture is all about. There are signals the Russians uh, politically, at least, are coming to Iran's uh, aid here. Reports about the Wagner Group giving Hezbollah uh, air defenses, Hezbollah being a surrogate for Iran. Th- things are really moving here at a pace I don't think the administration understands. Yeah, they're usually two or three steps behind, and this time they may be even further behind with the developments. Uh, last question I want to ask about, when you look at the table right now, the chessboard as it's setting up, what are the chances that this spirals into a regional conflict, and what are the chances that we here in America will feel some of the pain of Hezbollah or others uh, trying to carry out the wishes of Iran or the Palestinian sympathizers? Yeah, look, Iran uh, and its leaders have been explicit, threatening the United States, not just our troops in the region. Uh, Nasrullah, the leader of uh, Hezbollah, in a speech on Friday, threatened the United States. Uh, We don't know what Iran's game plan is. That's part of our general intelligence failure. We didn't see the Hamas attack on October the 7th. Neither did Israel. But I think the stakes here are very high. And and, uh, if the leadership in Tehran sees a weak American president unwilling to do what's necessary to protect Americans, they may think they're going to be able to take advantage of it. So this is what you get when this is the danger Americans are put in when you get a weak president. Yeah, that is what your op-ed made such a brilliant point of. Mr. Ambassador, it is always an honor to have you on the show. Lots of clarity and lots of common sense, something we don't get a lot of in Washington these days. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We'll stay in touch. Okay, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.